Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. What is going on, everyone? Casey Adams here. Welcome back to the Rise of the Young podcast. On today's episode, we have Kaya. Kaya is one of the three co-founders and the CEO at Slidebean overseeing the company roadmap, strategy, and growth marketing efforts. Slidebean is a venture-backed company founded in 2014 and headquartered in New York City. The company closed its first seed round in 2016 and has since become a multi-million dollar profitable tech company that continues to expand rapidly. If you don't know what Slidebean is, they've created hundreds of presentation templates sourced from industry experts or relevant startups who have used them successfully. Their pitch deck templates provide you with an outline where all you need to do is fill in the blanks. Personally, I've used Slidebean for many presentations and I've had a phenomenal experience with their platform. So I was very excited to sit down with Kaya. And with that being said, please take a moment to share this episode with a friend, preferably one that is just starting a company because this episode will be very, very valuable to them. And let's get into the episode with Kaya from Slidebean. All right, what is going on everyone? Casey Adams here. Welcome back to the Rise of the Young podcast. Today we have Kaya from Slidebean. Thanks so much for coming on, Kaya. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me, Casey. Of course, so so first off, man, I absolutely love Slidebean. I've used it for my companies for a while and I just love the platform you've built. And for everyone that doesn't know what Slidebean is, I'd love for you to give us some insight into what it is you built, just in case people haven't came across it before. Well, uh, yeah, so we Slidebean started originally as a presentation software, uh, ideally something that anybody could use like for sales presentations or marketing or school, whatever. Uh, but soon enough, we found a nice niche in the startup market where uh, both our content marketing resonated well and the product we started inevitably tweaking to these users. It eventually became a pitch deck platform. Um, and now it's sort of evolved into... Um, you know, platform to help startups in the, in the early stage process that extends to pitch decks and, and financial models and a bunch of other stuff. Got it. And when did this all start for you and where did the idea come from originally? So I'm a graphic designer. My, my co-founders are as well. And we, we've always struggled with shitty PowerPoint presentations and, and wanted to solve that. Right. The problem is that solving PowerPoint presentations is tough because it's, it's, it, you know, it, it appeals to a lot of to a lot of people. It's a very complex product, uh, and inevitably, it's kind of embedded into a lot of users, and you know, they're not willing to change. So that's something we had to accept, 
and then uh, find another niche where we could find something that would fit into into their needs. Got it. That makes sense. So you and your co-founders back, I believe you guys founded the company in 2014. Is that correct? Right. What were you doing before Slidebean? <laughs> Um, so I did another company and that's that I that's my first experience with pitch decks with pitching investors and whatnot uh, That didn't work. We couldn't raise money, but my my pitch decks were always praised um, Because I'm a designer and I would spend hours on keynote kind of building building the right slides So that was a start uh, my other co-founders uh, You know, they worked with a few with a few other startups. Uh, one of them worked with Mozilla um, so we, it was a good coincidence. Well, one of my co-founders, we were, we went through high school together. So we we're good. We were good friends. Uh, Jose, the last one, we sort of found a uh, third musketeer after, but it was, yeah, it was a nice match. We were all Costa Ricans, by the way. So we all met down, down there. Okay. Very cool. Um, regarding slide bean nowadays, the transitions that you said you've had from pre presentations to more pitch decks. What made you realize some of these internal changes that needed to happen? Because it takes a great founder to understand what the market is saying and getting feedback to pivot to what the market wants. But how were you guys able to figure out, hey, we should actually make this for pitch decks and founders and companies in a sense? So a, a, bunch, a couple of stories around that. First, in the early stage, we, we, we sort of advertised to everybody and tried to get everybody into the platform. But um, suddenly noticed that starters were converting a little better. One other kind of aha moment for us was we were we we went through 500 startups, the, the accelerator program, and, and before he got busted on on a Me Too case, uh, you know, Dave, Dave McClure had this really good reference of what a deck should have. Uh, it's out there in, in the internet. Yeah. And one day in the office, I asked him like, Dave, can we use this? Can we take this deck, make it beautiful, and put it as a template on our platform? And he's like, Yeah, fine, take it. And that sort of became the first step in 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 all of this because uh, one of the things that we were trying to solve was the design part. We would, yeah. we would I mean, all the time. They, what what we said to do at the beginning was we'll let you input content and we automatically design it for you. But uh, when we figured out with that is that people also wanted some structure. Uh, what slides should go? What should go on these slides? What's the right order? So that's what when we came up with this concept of a template, it's hard to explain because it's not really a, a visual template. It's it's like a content template, like a fill in the blank canvas that you can use, and yeah. that helps sort of guide people in this brain process of writing and presentation. Yeah, no, no, and I absolutely love it. Like I said at the beginning, I use it myself, and whenever I'm when I first went in there for the first time and plugged in everything that they were asking me the questions. You guys have just built such a sleek platform and as a user, there's a phenomenal user experience. And that's what I want to ask you next is for people that are building software products, what's your advice to launching something and building out the MVP and getting user feedback? Because I'm sure you guys have been through many iterations along the journey, but what's your advice to people launching companies in the software market today? So, so I think that, you know, we live in a world where you can build an MVP and you don't need to raise money, right? So first of all, and we see a lot of that because we, we work with decks, right? We see companies that don't have an MVP. They have the team to build it, or maybe they don't. Um, and, and the point is, if you, you know, you have to build that on your own. That's something that you have to build with your nails, bootstrap, whatever, and get to a first MVP. And then the second, and we learned this, this one the hard way, is you should charge people for this MVP, even if it's not ready. Um, try to find a way to monetize users because if you, and we did this for, for the longest time, almost a year, uh, slapping was free and we, we would get yeah. feedback from everybody. 
but these weren't paid customers. These were just customers and some of them were never going to convert. So we spent a lot of time kind of uh, catering the product to what people were requesting and turned out that they were never going to pay for our product. So by putting that paywall, you're not only testing your monetization strategy, you're, um, you're kind of filtering the feedback and only getting feedback from the ones that count. Wow. That's, Super interesting because I'm, I'm working on an MVP myself and I was thinking about launching it in the free model. But now that you say that, I'm curious, like when you're saying, hey, like adding that paywall, because obviously an MVP is a very basic version of the end goal of what you're looking to accomplish. Can you dive more into that for me about, you know, some of the benefits of that and what you learn from adding that paywall as the first MVP? Yeah. The, so the paywall is, is we have, this is a funny story. So at the very beginning, we didn't have anything that was paid. Like everything in the platform was free. It was a very early version of the product. And one thing, one feature we didn't have was exporting decks. We wanted to keep people in the environment. Yep. So people started requesting this, these free users, and, and they're like, we need, to, we need a way to export. What if there's no internet connection, whatever. And we're like, fine, we'll let you export uh, to a PDF. But we didn't have the functionality to export to PDF. So we actually did those ourselves. We would open the presentation on our side, make it full screen, do screenshots of each slide, compile it into a PDF and send it to the user manually. We would do this manually. Um, and it was crazy at first. So then we figured like we need to filter people, people out because they're asking for a PDF, changing one little dot and then, then changing the PDF and we have to do it again manually. Yeah, yeah. Out of this annoyance, then we figured, well, why don't we put a, a fake pay, paywall on this? We'll tell them that in order to do that, they'll need to pay five bucks a month for our plan. Uh, that'll filter people out and it also tells us if they're willing to convert. We didn't have a paywall. We didn't have an actual paywall then. So if they clicked, okay, we'll pay, uh, it would automatically unlock it for them. But it also, you know, created this filter that, that it let us, let, let us measure how many of them were converted. Yeah. Very cool, man. And I, w I also want to ask just when it comes to how you guys have scaled, um, when it comes to raising capital and actually building a product that you guys have built as of now, what have you learned from raising capital and building a team and scaling to the points that you have regarding just team culture and people wise? Yeah. So I, maybe it's not the ideal approach. So my first company went out of business and we were very bullish about that company in the sense that we would, you know, we would, I, I put a lot of, of company expenses into my credit card because we were sure that we were going to succeed. So I learned a hard lesson with that. Uh, both in terms of how hard it is to close down a business, but also the, how expensive it is to, to close down a business. To go out of business, it's expensive. Yeah. Um, so it's like we've, been, we've actually been extra careful, and I think that that's worked uh, because we, you know, we raised money. We had a burn rate for a few for a few years uh, while we expanded, but we've always been very cautious, like uh, with, with with our growth and with our hires, especially with people, because I hate. Yeah. Only once we have to do it. I hate hiring. I hate having having to fire people because I have to cut burn rate. Because that means I made the bad decision of hiring them when the company wasn't ready to hire them. Yeah. Um, so, being cautious, even though it it has undoubtedly undoubtedly cost us to grow slower, it's also made us very stable and and that you know lets us sleep at night a little better. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's that's amazing, man. And. I do want to ask you from a, from a leader, leadership perspective, over the last couple of months, I'm sure you guys have experienced a lot of changes from a, when it comes to being in the office versus um, online working and remote working. How has that transition been for you as a CEO and founder, and what have you learned from that? Yeah, um, so I'm, I'm a big believer in the, in the office space. Um, I think that there is some collaboration that can only happen in an office space. When you sit down for lunch and you're 
you're just discussing something and you come up with this idea and you, you use the afternoon to implement it because you just discussed it. Like that, that does not happen when you're working remotely. Yes, it's more efficient in, in, in a few ways and you, can, and you can make it work. We have to make it work. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, right. So we, we sent everybody home on March and we have not uh, wow. been back to the office since then. Uh, only for small one or two person meetings and the, the taping of the YouTube videos, which we still have to do with, with yeah. human. But aside from that, the office has been empty. Wow. I'm sure that's been a huge transition for you. Do you guys have yeah. to go back anytime soon or what does that look like? Hmm. Uh, so we're, this is the, I'm talking about the Costa Rica office. We have another office in New York, but we, okay. I, I, I can't. In Costa Rica. Yeah. So I'm um, Costa Rican. Big part of the team is down, uh, down there. We're down here, really. Um, Are you in Costa Rica right now? Yeah, this is, this is our Costa Rica space. Oh, wow. Dude, uh, I went to Costa Rica about a year and a half ago. Absolutely loved it. <laughs> so that's good right. to be here. Let's go. Per vida. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, still, you know, there's still, uh, coronavirus is not under control down here. So yeah. we're still being cautious. The other office in New York, and we have part of the team out there. Uh, I, I can't just, I can't fly to New York and I'm probably yeah. not going to be able to for the next few months. I, I usually travel between the two offices. Yep. That's just the way it is these days. And uh, I, I, that's very cool though. You guys are out in Costa Rica and I, I want to touch on the YouTube content. I know that you guys have a great YouTube content strategy and you're crushing it there. When did you decide to start creating that unique style of content? Um, and where did that idea come from? So we, we had a lot of success with SEO uh, for the first couple of years. You know, our first big breakthrough was SEM. Uh, we sort of catered to everybody. And then when we found the keyword pitch deck, converted great. And we're like, okay, so this is our keyword. And we, you know, that, that fueled our first year of growth. The next couple of years were SEO because we figured, well, people are searching for pitch decks. Some of them are seeing our ad, but the rest of them are going to organic results. So we need to be there as well. So we spend a lot of money and effort in getting our websites to rank and pit for that, for those keywords, anything related to pitch decks and fundraising. And then we ranked and we're third, second position for some of these searches. Um, getting to number one is, is really hard because we're competing against huge companies yeah. uh, or business insider type. Uh, but then our question was, well, what's the next search engine? And that's YouTube, right? So we started producing a lot of content around that to sort of answer those questions in a video form. I'm originally a, a, a digital animator. So I, the first videos I would edit and, and uh, animate myself okay. uh, just to understand like what was the format that people would enjoy. And it's yeah. this format of explaining something from our own expertise that, that people seem to have connected with. Very cool. No, I, I love the content. I know um, my buddy Yoli, he sends me over all the videos that he watches and it's, I checked him out. I'm like, this is super cool. So I'm glad that he sent him over and I'm sure everyone listening, if, if you haven't already checked out the YouTube content that they've been putting out, make sure you do. Um, so talk to me about Costa Rica. You grew up there or what did that look like? Yeah, I am. I'm Costa Rican. Okay. Uh, I've been here in my life. I only, uh, I only lived in New York for a few months in, in, in 2012 for the first time. So I'm officially a foreigner before then. Very, what, what part of Costa Rica? San Jose, downtown. Jose? Okay. Very cool, man. So with growing up in Costa Rica, did you come to the States? often or what did that look like? No, not really. Not really. Uh, I went a couple of times as a kid, like Disney world sort of trips. Okay. But yeah. uh, I always started traveling to the U S regularly with when I, when I started the first company, which I needed to travel, we try to raise money. Um, even when we launched Slidebean, we always were pretty sure that we wanted to play this card, right? We wanted to establish Slidebean as a U.S. company because press, 
customer trust, sales, marketing, all that stuff. You need, you, you have to be a U.S. company. Like you, we can't use the Costa Rica thing as an advantage when, when selling. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, and New York was the only place where I had a soft landing cause I had lived there for a few months. So, so we decided that Slidebean would be a New York company. Um, there's, there's a small team there, but the reality is that most of the talent that we can recruit outside of, um, that we can recruit in Costa Rica, we recruit here cause they're in the same place, in the same office yeah. well, for March. Very cool. Absolutely. Um, regarding just, what I want to say you as an entrepreneur, um, raising money. That's a question that obviously your platform is built to help helping companies raise money. What is your personal experience in raising money and what's your advice to early founders there? Yeah. So, um, I think that myself included, um, founders want to raise money before they're ready to raise money. I think that I blame the press. Honestly, uh, the starter press is all about how this company raised this many millions but it's not about the traction. It's not about the bootstrapping part. Like nobody hears that story. So they think that they can just come up with an idea and raise money for it. I, I was that guy for my first company and that's why we failed. I was that guy for Slidebean as well because we had an early product, very little traction and, we, and I wasted months trying to raise money. Wow. Uh, it was only until we were on track with some revenue and growing month over month revenue that investors were, wanted to put their money in. Yep. So with very few exceptions of maybe founders that have a great track record or a great, are great at fundraising, you know, most, the rest of us will need to get there with traction, yeah. but still uh, entrepreneurs are coming and what they want is, is the pitch deck, right? So we'll, you know, we'll, we'll take their money. That's fine. But we try to, part of that, that is the YouTube videos as well. We try to guide them in the journey and say, well, like you shouldn't be wasting time building a pitch deck if you're not ready. Yeah, absolutely. Cause so you're saying, People are building pitch decks for specifically the intent to raise money, correct? Yeah, right. absolutely. Um, from raising capital outside of obviously having the, the right product and actually having some traction there, have you guys seen um, not only growth, but the advantages of raising capital and being ready for it? I'd love to just hear you out on that because there are, I know people that listen to this podcast that are founders that have, they want to raise capital, they're on track to, but when you go about doing so, what was your strategy and what did you learn from that journey personally? That's a good question. Um, hmm. I, I think that we, I had this incorrect notion that investors would be really uh, on top of you about everything. And I think that in the early stages, you know, when your investors are putting in a hundred K, a couple hundred K maybe, uh, they're, you know, they're doing small bets in many companies yeah. and they're not going to be, you know, you're not, you're not going to be able to pick up the phone and call them and ask them for an intro. I mean, maybe, maybe yeah. once or twice, but it's not, it's not that support that you expect. It's somebody they have to report to. Yes. On, on traction, but you are pretty much on your own as a, as a CEO. Yeah. Uh, you have to keep those guys happy and you have to keep your, your team and your co-founders happy. So yeah, two takeaways there. You, you sort of play this balance between the two. Uh, you know, between kind of meeting these objectives that you're proposing, that you're planning, that you sold, um, but also uh, on your own in the sense that these guys are, are only going to dedicate maybe a, an hour, a, a month to you. Uh, they don't care that much about the money they put in your company. Yeah. Oh, very, very great insight. I appreciate that. Uh, where did the name Slidebeam come from? Oh, man. So, uh, we, we, we've actually re we've 
considered changing the name a couple times and we right now it's so well established i think that we can't change it anymore like we're stuck with it uh it's hard to pronounce in spanish it's a mess to pronounce people never get it um it came from we wanted to have slides in the in the in the name mainly for seo that didn't work really work out it's not as important as we thought but anyway we wanted that and then we needed something else because obviously slides.com is is not as taken uh so uh we figured bean we love coffee and then um it's, it's from a coffee bean the first logo we had was was a coffee bean okay okay very cool when i was in costa rica i went to a huge coffee plantation and did that whole process of picking the beans and doing that whole thing so that that's very cool keeping it native yeah it's it's the little the little nod to to our costa rica that we had yeah no i, I love that very cool um just Outside of business, do you have any key passions or projects that you work on um, from a passion perspective or, or what is that outside of work part of your look like? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm actually, I started a YouTube channel on my own long before we started a Slidebean YouTube channel. Um, and I've always been careful about, or I've had to be sort of, I've tried to disconnect myself because I love making videos and I really enjoy it. Um, I'm good. I'm good friends with Nas from Nas Daily. Uh, we met in. We met with my previous company, and I, you know, after a while and seeing how he succeeded so much with his one-minute video thing, uh, I was. I honestly felt. Woke up one day and, and and felt envy. I'm like, this guy is living the dream. Like, I would love to be making videos just for fun. Yeah. Like, well, I'm just gonna do it as a side thing. Uh, so I'm really passionate about that. I got extremely lucky that we. I was able to combine this in Slidebean. So now I have the slide bean budget to make videos. Yep. Uh, and I'm always careful when I pitch video stuff because uh, it's doing well now, but I don't want to overspend on this just because I love it. Yeah, uh, totally. But yeah, I would say that that's the closest thing I have to, to a hobby in yeah, whatever time. That's very cool. Um, when you're building pitch decks, where do you see most entrepreneurs go wrong when building pitch decks? Good question. I think it's about, uh, I, I talked about it, about the timing. Um, if you as a CEO are gonna, are on fundraising mode, that is a full-time job for a few months. So those are, you know, two, three months that you're going to spend finding investors, getting calls, pitching to them, not get, not doing meetings. I mean, at least zoom meetings. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's a full-time job for a while. Um, I spent a lot of money and I spent a lot of time. I had to travel, fly to different cities and whatever to pitch the investors when I was full on fundraising mode. Um, and you should only do it when the company, the rest of the company can operate without you. Because you, if you only have a co-founder and one other co-founder and they need you for a part of the product, then yeah. you're slowing the company down. And that's something that you cannot afford to do at the early stage. So that's uh, that's a lesson learned with, with pitch decks. And then in the actual pitch deck itself, it's just about the amount of content. Um, yeah. Investors expect the structure. Uh, Docsend did this nice research on how much people's investor investors spend looking at a deck and it's about four minutes. So people try to squeeze a lot of information in there. Uh, and the reality is inve an investor is going to spend four minutes. If you have more information than four minutes, they're just going to skip through it or read it fast or not yeah. care. Um, so just keep it, keep it short, keep it simple. Keep it short, keep it simple. I like that a lot. Um, regarding the current state of social media and how you guys have built a brand, I know that you said, you know, it'd be hard to change your name and, I look at Slidebean as a very well-established concrete brand, and that's coming from a consumer and someone that just loves the product. Um, what's your advice on building brand? 
establishing a true brand online to actually build that foundation and that culture within a company? That's a great question. I, I, I didn't used to be a believer in the power of brand. Um, our first four years, probably we sold by growth hacking and by getting people in front of our product, not in front of our brand. So I, we always think of the marketing budget as, as 70, 80% should go to what we call direct response, which are ads and any campaigns that directly drive sales and conversions. Yep. And 20% to brand awareness. That's, that's the way we've always thought about it. It's a secondary thing. Yes, it has some value, but it's completely intangible. In the early stages of, of the company, you probably don't have enough budget or time to be focusing on that. So it should be secondary. And I still believe that. Yep. Uh, but as your company scales, as your marketing budget scales, suddenly that brand awareness budget goes from being a few hundred bucks to a few thousand bucks. So you want to find a good way to spend them. Um, we actually started our YouTube thing as a, our YouTube is by far the biggest brand exposure we have these days yep. and we've, we've ever had. Um, and we started YouTube as a direct response campaign. Uh, the first few videos we would track as to how many conversions they drove, uh, if people were paying by watching this video and, and they were working, right? Um, but then came a point when um, they were not only working for this, but they were also working to create a brand because a lot of people started, we started seeing this in social media, we started seeing this all around where people kind of were becoming familiar with the name. And now we understand the value of that. Now we understand that people, when they come to your website and they've heard of your brand before, uh, they're much more likely to convert, resistance is lower, churn is lower, customer satisfaction is higher because they just believe in your brand. But that's something very intangible and potentially very expensive to build. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're saying YouTube has been a primary component in building that, building that, is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. Outside of YouTube, is there any other strategies that you would say have been very important to building brand? Or is that something that you guys just spend majority of your time on when it comes to pumping out content there? No, so uh, SEO is probably the, the next most important one. Uh, YouTube just recently, very recently, uh, uh, became our biggest source of customers. It used to be SEO because that's what people are searching for. If you're the answer and you're the product that answers their question, that's a direct search, but that's not brand, right? They just came across this thing and now they learned your name now that they care and that they consider signing up. But they could read, you know, you could get 100, 200,000 uh, read, reads on your articles every month and nobody would know your brand because they don't care about who's writing this article, they just care about the content. Um, so, uh, yeah, brand, brand came in later in the game, but it's been great. I love that. How have you gone about pricing software? I know that, you know, every company has different pricing models and it's, you know, some are low ticket, some are high end for corporate. Um, this is not only a personal question, but something I'm just fascinated in when it comes to how great companies look at pricing and how you've gotten to that point where you're like, Hey, this is a great price point. And that's something that I'd love to love to hear your thoughts on. Oh man, we, we've, we've played around with pricing so much. Um, you know, started as a $5 a month thing failed because it's not enough. $5 a month means 60 bucks a year per customer. And if you're just starting up and you don't have a brand and you don't have SEO, you just can't acquire customers for five bucks. Uh, I mean, for 60 bucks or less. Uh, it'd, have, it'd have to be like 20 bucks per customer acquired. And on a SaaS product, that's just impossible. Um, so luckily, we've figured out that in time, changed to, to like a 19.29 a month, um, which worked well, but we started seeing a, a huge uh, amount of churn. 
Um, so we grew, we pretty much scaled the company on this 29 a month pricing. Okay. Uh, got to our first million dollars in ARR on that pricing. But when we got to a million dollars, um, we, we just couldn't grow anymore because the churn was so high that we were adding $13,000 worth of new subscriptions, but we were losing $13,000 of new subscriptions. So we were flat. Uh, and that's when we started experimenting more heavily. In the end, we landed on annual only, um, simply because it, it, it kind of connects better with what we're offering, right? If you're doing a pitch deck, it's not a one month thing. It's not a thing that you're exporting for now. It's, it's, it's a product, uh, a presentation that you're gonna be working on for a few months. And yep. if you have that pressure of a monthly subscription, um, you know, normally a, presenta uh, a presentation product would track the success on how many presentations people are building. But in our case, people build one or maybe two pitch decks and that's it. But they're continually, continuously iterating on those. So when you're on an annual and you've already paid up for the year, uh, it's a lot easier to, to do that if there's no pressure for the monthly. Also, you know, when, when it comes to time for renewal, they've been working on this. They've been iterating yeah. on that deck. It doesn't, I mean, the deck is in slide beam. It's harder for them to leave it and churn out. So that's, that's worked wonders for us. Very cool. Um, last, last point on, on, on pricing, we recently launched a new, a new plan that's 149 a month. So we were, our cheapest plan is 96 a year. Yep. But recently we launched the plan that's 149 a month which is crazy that people are willing, for us was crazy that people were willing to pay for this. Yeah. Uh, but I, I also blame the brand a little bit in the sense that people trust the brand and therefore their money is less of an issue, less of a barrier because they've already trust this product. Yeah. Wow. So you started off with just, it's a, you have to go yearly up until this new, this new 149 a month. Yeah. Very interesting. I love that, man. That was actually very insightful and I, and I appreciate you sharing that for sure. Um, what are you excited about? You know, moving forward into 2020 at Slidebean, what are some things that you're looking forward to internally that you can talk about? Because I'm sure you guys have a lot of amazing things coming out. <laughs> yeah. So two things, YouTube, YouTube for once, I'm really excited. I, I've talked about that. Uh, we have some really cool stuff happening. We, right now we're shooting a new format for our company forensics videos, uh, where we're doing like a full production, um, show, um, for, for, uh, for an episode about Apple, uh, it's, it's gonna be really cool. And that I'm generally excited about what we can do with YouTube because we're in this magic sweet spot where YouTube is funded by the Slidebeam company. So we are, we're like a little production company, but we have the money of a, of a larger business and you know, it's translating to sales. So we have some liberty to spend a lot of money in that and, and we were enjoying it. Uh, and then the other one is, is this new product that we're launching called Monthly. Um, it's like a SaaS tracking platform. We Slidebeam has sort of evolved from being just the pitch deck to a bunch of tools for early stage startups. And one of them is, is monthly, which is a, a SaaS tracking basically for your invoices. And we track your SaaS expenses month for month. Very cool. Um, I'm really excited about that because people are excited about that. We have a platform now where we can launch it. We can launch it to our customers. We can launch it on the YouTube channel. Yep. Um, it's like, a, it's like another startup, um, internally has a whole new world of potential but it doesn't, we're not making the same mistakes as we made uh, the first time. Yeah. Uh, Starting with the name, <laughs> yeah. we found something that was simple and easy to pronounce and, and more memorable. Hey, I, I love that for sure. Have you guys ever thought about starting a podcast about like pitching investors and all yeah. that? I'm curious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't, I don't, I listen to very few podcasts, mostly because my brain can't do two things at once. I either listen to the podcast or work. So I have to, set aside time to listen to the podcast. I can't do it while I'm working or yep. maybe driving. That's okay. But, um, 
So I haven't, I'm not that in, much into the podcasting world. I've, I've started to for, force myself into listening to more podcasts yeah. because, you know, we want to do that. And what we were, we're planning on doing is doing company forensics episodes. Uh, again, these company story breakdowns, but having the real CEOs of the company uh, as a podcast. So we'll, we'll do a full interview discussion. And then from that, we'll extract some stuff and, and do the video version. Hey, very cool. I'm definitely looking forward to that. Um, last thing, Kaya, is just, what is the most important lesson, if you had to pick one, that you've learned along your journey as an entrepreneur that you'd want to give to a young entrepreneur today? Um, mm, so I think the most important lesson is it's that it's about the journey, right? You have to enjoy the journey. Um, you're not always going to be successful. You can't, like, don't put all, all your eggs in one basket. And I mean money here. Like, don't invest all your own personal money into this company because you're, the worst you're the worst person to decide if the company has potential because you're you're biased um that's one uh but it, it's about enjoying the journey uh there's this sort of silicon valley standard story you know the, the instagram story right billion dollar company in, in three years yeah. tiny team acquisition billionaires uh, after that but there are a lot of a lot of other untold startup stories that uh, first make their founders happy uh, then make their founders money, uh, yeah. and they, you know, they're people call them lifestyle lifestyle businesses, but I, I think that that's not the right word for it. It's it's a startup anyway. It's a tech company has great yeah. margins, and you can be very successful and live very comfortably by doing one of those companies. Maybe you can sell it. Uh, I, I love this podcast actually by by Will Schroeder from Startups.com, and what he talks about is like if you sell a company in your twenties for a million, I mean for a million dollars, and you get a million dollars. A million dollars in your 20s will completely change your life. You don't need a billion dollars in your 20s. Yeah. If you get $500,000 in your 20s, you can buy a house, you can get rid of all your debt, and yeah. you, can, you, you have unlimited potential for the years after, right? So that story is also a great story. Totally. No, I love that, Kai. And before we wrap it up, where is the best place for everyone to continue to follow SlideBean and hear about everything you guys have coming up soon? Probably, I, I want to start with, I would normally point people to, to our website, but probably YouTube is the best place, place to start uh, on, you know, a lot of what we talked about today, we, we talked about on YouTube, so check us out on, on youtube.com slash typing. Love that. And everyone tuning out, make sure to link that down below. And again, Kaya, thanks so much for coming on today. Awesome. Thanks a lot for having me, Casey.